Welcome to a special edition of Beyond the Text. In this unique series, we delve deep into the intellectual history of some of the world's most influential philosophers and political theorists. Join us as we explore the profound insights, groundbreaking ideas, and enduring legacies of these great minds in Beyond the Text, Thinkers. In each episode, we take you on a journey through time and ideas, from the ancient wisdom of Aristotle to the modern brilliance of John Locke, we unearth the foundations of human thought. Discover how their philosophies shape societies and continue to influence our world today. Through meticulous research and engaging storytelling, Beyond the Text Thinkers uncovers the personal lives, controversies and intellectual transformations of these luminaries. Join us on this cerebral adventure where the past meets the present and philosophy takes centre stage. So welcome to Beyond the Text Thinkers. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Beyond the Text Thinkers. I'm your host, Samuel Woodall, and today we embark on an intellectual journey into the world of Jean-Jacques Rousseau's second discourse. In this discourse, Rousseau delves into the enchanting and at times intoxicating nature of concepts such as liberty and freedom. Let's explore the wisdom and warnings contained within his thought-provoking words. Rousseau begins his second discourse with a profound observation about freedom. He likens it to a heavy and succulent food or rich wine, things that fortify those accustomed to them, but can overwhelm, ruin and intoxicate those who are unaccustomed. This comparison suggests that there's something inherently captivating in the very notion of freedom. When ordinary citizens get a taste of it, they become addicted, craving more and more without a clear understanding of their limits. There is, in freedom, as there is in heavy and succulent food or in rich wine, something which fortifies robust constitutions used to it, but which overwhelms, ruins and intoxicates weak and delicate people unused to it a passage from Rousseau's second discourse. It's as if Rousseau is cautioning us here against the unbridled pursuit of freedom without a deep understanding of its implications. The allure of liberty, he suggests, can be a double-edged sword. Rousseau's musings on the seductive nature of freedom lead him on to another intriguing proposition. He seems to advocate the idea that radical democracy may not be the best option. Instead, he posits that an educated minority of enfranchised individuals equipped with the constitution and ability to handle freedom might be a safer alternative. This, he believes, prevents the potential chaos and anarchy that could arise when the masses, in their quest for freedom, disregard boundaries. He writes, This suggests that radical democracy is not preferable to an educated minority of enfranchised men, who have the constitution and ability to stomach a greater extent of freedom and make decisions on the behalf of the rest. Rousseau seems to be advocating for a balanced approach, where the responsible few guide the many, ensuring that freedom does not lead to unchecked chaos. To fully appreciate Rousseau's perspective, it's crucial to understand what he's reacting to in his own time. He saw the society of his era with its power concentrated in the hands of a few and the masses entrapped, as deeply unjust. He contrasts this with a simpler, more natural state of existence where basic needs were met and people were content with life. He pens again, 
I see him satisfying his hunger under an oak, quenching his thirst at the first stream, finding his bed under the same tree which provided his meal, and, behold, his needs are furnished. Rousseau yearned for a return to this simplicity, away from the vulgarity of the modern metropolis. He criticised the prevailing culture of his day, especially in places like Paris, where individuals were preoccupied with amour propre, a self-love driven by external validation rather than genuine self-appreciation. It's crucial to note that Rousseau's critique isn't aimed at abolishing all forms of hierarchy or social structure. He was on good terms with the aristocracy of his time. His true concern lay with the emerging nouveau riche, whom he saw as vulgar and lacking sophistication and responsibility in their newfound status. Rousseau envisaged a society where individuals are free, but live in harmony, guided by a more thoughtful and enlightened elite. His ideal world involved a balance between personal liberty and the greater good, an equilibrium that contemporary society often struggles to achieve. Now, let's delve into Rousseau's critique of the linear path that modern humanity has taken to arrive at contemporary society. His perspective is both captivating and deeply philosophical. Rousseau invites us to rewind to a state of nature, a state devoid of the corruption that society inevitably brings. This notion bears a striking resemblance to the Christian tradition of the fool from Eden, and some scholars have gone so far as to propose that Rousseau's philosophy could be viewed as his own personal religion. Rousseau contends that many of the predicaments we face today are self-inflicted and could have been avoided if we had adhered to a simpler, more natural way of life. This concept echoes elements of Stoic philosophy, suggesting that there was a time when humanity lived in harmony with nature, leading to a more successful and morally upright existence. However, at some point in our history, we deviated from this natural pact and embraced society, a move that Rousseau believes gave rise to detrimental traits like greed, envy and vanity. In his view, to address the contemporary issues that plague us, we must reintegrate the values of this pre-social state into our societal framework. Moving forward, let's explore Rousseau's unique stance on the Enlightenment debate regarding the supremacy of reason over the irrational passions. Rousseau is distinctive in his approach. He seeks to bridge the gap between reason and passion, dismantling the binary distinction that often characterises this philosophical discourse. He contends that it's the interplay between our reason and our passions that moulds us into fully functioning individuals. Rousseau argues that our reason improves through the activity of our passions. We seek knowledge because we desire to enjoy, and he asserts that it's inconceivable for someone devoid of desires and fears to engage in the effort of reasoning. Morally, Rousseau alludes to the notion that when we grapple with ethical conundrums, our innate emotions for one another are the driving force behind our rational reasoning. 
It is these emotions that guide us in determining what we should do in various situations and how we should make those decisions. This reconciliation of the rational and irrational within ethical philosophy represents a distinctly human capacity, and it challenges the conventional Enlightenment perspective that often prioritised reason alone. In this synthesis of reason and passion, Rousseau fosters a deeper understanding of the complexities of human nature, underscoring the inherent connection between our emotions and our capacity for rational thought. Lastly, let's journey into Rousseau's optimistic perspective on our innate human nature. He draws from the natural world, pointing to the interactions of animals to reinforce his view. Rousseau highlights the aversion of animals such as horses to trample on other living creatures. Quote, These animals exhibit distress when they come across the corpse of a fellow creature of their species. This observation suggests that our ethical thought is inherently rooted in compassionate emotions for our fellow humans. Rousseau's implication is clear. We are naturally inclined to care for one another. Therefore, he advocates structuring our societies around this profound truth. In this proto-romantic vein, Rousseau paints a picture of a harmonious and compassionate human nature that contrasts with the prevalent views of his Enlightenment contemporaries. He encourages us to recognise and embrace the innate goodness within us, to build our societal structures based on these natural inclinations. Right, let's turn to contracts and what would pave the way for the most famous work of Rousseau's, The Social Contract. Rousseau's Discourse on Inequality is a critical examination of the concept of inequality. Unlike previous theorists, Rousseau doesn't consider the state of nature as an abstract theoretical construct. Instead, he grounds it in historical reality. This is a fundamental departure from the norm. In his discourse, Rousseau introduces the concept of the noble savage. He paints a picture of primitive humans who were content in their isolation, driven by the necessities of survival rather than the vices of greed or vanity. This portrayal challenges traditional assumptions about human nature. Rousseau's vision of the noble savage reinforces the idea of an isolationist pre-social man living in harmony with nature. He argues that most of humanity's problems are of their own making, a stark contrast to previous thinkers who often attributed societal issues to external factors. Rousseau delved into how the state of nature eventually led to the emergence of the social contract. He theorises that natural inequalities initially fostered communal reciprocity, but over time the envy of gains, both material and bodily, threatened the peace and paved the way for the social contract. Rousseau suggests that the stronger and richer individuals, recognising the constant suffering brought about by conflict, composed a contract. People willingly accepted their chains in the hopes of securing their liberty, a significant moment in the evolution of human society. 
Rousseau criticises amour propre, or self-love, viewing it as the root of modernity's problems. He argues that it fosters a self-centred society, driving a wedge between individuals and the common good. According to Rousseau, the only way to overcome the corrupting influence of amour propre is through the concept of the general will. This collective sentiment focuses on the common preservation and general well-being of society. Rousseau envisions a path to a better state, rooted in the direct democracy he observed in his motherland, Geneva, Switzerland. He suggests that when individuals come together in a body politic, they unite under a single will focused on their collective preservation and general well-being. So that concludes our exploration of Rousseau's discourse on inequality and lays the groundwork for the next section on the social contract. This work challenges established notions about human nature and society. It invites us to rethink the origins of inequality and the role of the social contract in shaping our lives. Please subscribe, like and share this podcast to spread the knowledge. Join us on future episodes as we continue to explore the philosophical ideas of the greats and their impact on our world. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep delving into the rich tapestry of ideas that lies beyond the text.